0: It's so interesting. I don't think of it as a historical novel because I think, in fact, my favorite historical novels don't somehow feel historical because they're able to create that sense of immediacy and freshness and urgency. Unfortunately, when I think of historical novels, I think of a kind of very light covering of dust over the characters and the novels that I love most that take place in a different historical time never have that quality to them.
1: You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought.
0: From Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis.
1: Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Rebecca King, and today we're continuing our discussion of historical fiction with a writer who has explored the concept of time in fiction in a really fascinating way. So I'm Sarah Swenyan
0: Bynum, and I've written two books. The first is called Madeline is Sleeping, and the second is called Miss Hempel Chronicles.
1: Sarah's novel, Madeline is Sleeping, It blurs the line between dream and reality, and as a result, time, as the setting and function of the story, becomes uncertain. Madeline, who is asleep for much of the book, dreams of fantastic events and characters from across the centuries. Her dream life is interwoven with glimpses into the everyday life of her family and the village around her. The novel itself is comprised of a series of very short chapters, some of which are only one line long. This shorter form hints at the origin of the project. Well, it has a
0: very unmystical beginning, which was that it started as an assignment that I was doing for a hypertext fiction workshop, and I had never used hypertext as a compositional tool before and I was really excited about it and trying to master the software because I'm not very computer savvy, but I was just very thrilled by the possibilities offered by this non-linear
1: form of storytelling. Hypertext fiction is a form of electronic literature, which allows readers to progress through stories by clicking on the hypertext links Connected to different keywords on each new page. You can imagine these hypertext fictions as a kind of choose your own adventure. And writing stories for such a form, as Sarah mentioned, requires the author to compose non linear works, that is, stories that can be read in any order, because you never know which link a reader may click on. This non linearity contributes to the novel's dreamlike feel. Sometimes readers think of this as being very rooted in
0: late 19th century France, and some of it is, but Many of the historical figures who appear in the book come from earlier centuries. So the figure of Morin Murray the figure of Marguerite de restanti these are not from the 19th century. And so I really wanted it to be, as you said, an, an indefinite past. I didn't want to tie this down to a particular decade or century. And one of the things that the device of the dream allowed me to do was to populate the novel with characters from the historical record that weren't actually contemporaries, but that I wanted to bring them all onto the stage together. So Madeline's dream life became the stage where I could have historical figures all in conversation together who didn't
1: actually live at the same time. With such varied characters, what was the research process like? I did it very
0: spottily. (laughs) So there was no method. And I didn't start out sort of thinking this was going to be a historical novel. What happened was they accrued in a haphazard way. So I think the first historical figure who appeared was Marais Marais. And I had recently seen the Gerard Depardieu movie, Tu Les Matins du Monde, All the Mornings in the World. And I was so sort of enraged by the movie and so dismayed that the young female character in the movie ends up hanging herself out of a broken heart. And I wanted to create a different story for her. And so writing the story of Charlotte and Maureen Murray was my attempt to imagine a different kind of narrative for this young female character. So it was just a sort of indignant response. And then Marguerite Durastanti, the character of the singer, She arrived in the story because I love the recordings of Lorraine Hunt Lieberson, arias for Durastanti, which is a collection that Harmonia Mundi put out. And so I was reading the liner notes, and I was like, oh, she sounds like she had an interesting life. And I was particularly interested in the fact that she sang all these male parts. But then once Handel began working with a castrato, she lost the chance to sing all these heroic male parts so this was just something i discovered in the liner notes of the cd so i didn't do any further research beyond that but again she seemed somehow like she belonged in this world and she was a character that i wanted to write
1: about for one character monsieur pujol a flatulent performer from turn of the century france Sarah found that research actually bogged down the narrative. So the research was like very
0: haphazard and I usually didn't go very much beyond that initial little sort of fragment or tidbit of information. When I did have more research material, it ended up sort of bogging down the story. So the historical figure who I had the most material about was the flatulent man, Monsieur Pujol. And there's this wonderful little novelty biography of him called Le Petomen, and so I was like, I've hit the jackpot, I have so much great material I can use. And the more of that material I tried to incorporate into the story, the sort of more... Dense and heavy the narrative began to feel. And so I realized through the mistake of doing that, that in the case of this book, less
1: research was more. But even without the research, Sarah finds tidbits and pieces of fascinating stories all around her.
0: Like literally footnotes that you sort of stumble across by accident. Those can end up becoming portals into
1: interesting lives. (laughs) Aside from the use of the indefinite past in the narrative, time itself becomes skewed between the waking and dreaming life of the book. So how did Sarah help readers orient themselves in the course of the novel? And that was a
0: tricky craft aspect to navigate, which is that I wanted her dream life to be untethered from time so that I could have this latitude that I wanted in terms of the cast of characters who were involved. And also just because the experience of dreaming is untethered from time, at least that's how it always feels to me. But yet at the same time, I wanted there to be a forward movement in the narrative. And so I was really relying upon Madeline's family, the mother and the siblings, they provided a kind of clock moving forward. So that even though the dream aspect of the narrative does seem to be unmoored (laughs) from a kind of temporal logic that I still did want a kind of time piece that was ticking throughout the book and the family ended up sort of becoming that timepiece, seeing the younger siblings take on new roles and responsibilities in the family, and as we see the mother's business grow, and then the repercussions of her growing business, and then as we see her increasing frustration with the sleeping figure of Madeline. But I was also trying to suggest that a relatively short period of time elapses in the so-called waking world of the story, but simultaneously, you know, Madeline is having grand adventures that the time in her dream life is much more expanded than the period of time that's actually covered within her family and within the village that they
1: live in. Our discussion eventually led us to the broader idea of how time functions in fiction. Two of the great pleasures that fiction offers us, one, of course,
0: is the access it gives us to another person's consciousness and interiority and it seems like no other medium can do that in quite the same way but the other thing that fiction seems able to do that's perhaps unique is the way in which it can both expand and compress time. One of my favorite books on the subject is a book put out by Gray Wolf Press, written by the wonderful Joan Silber, called The Art of Time in Fiction. And she offers just such lucid account of different types of fictional time, whether that's the way fiction can dramatically expand time and slow down time to the sort of switchback time that writers like Alice Munro use so masterfully. So it's a question I'm always loving to meditate on, but it does seem like while something like poetry and the lyric mode can explore a single moment with such richness that one of the things that narrative does and that fiction does is explore a sequence of moments. And and for me as someone who's always interested in change, I love the fact that fiction always implies the passage of time because passage of time also always necessitates change of some sort. Maybe the passage of time doesn't necessitate change. The process of time always brings about change of some sort. So my interest in change and transformation in fiction is so intimately tied to the fact that fiction
1: necessarily takes place over time. At the start of the podcast, Sarah mentioned that her favorite historical novels have a sense of urgency and freshness so that the setting of the past seems almost irrelevant. So now we're going to give her a chance to talk about two of her favorite historical novels that capture these qualities.
0: Versailles by Catherine Davis is a novel that portrays an infamous historical character, Marie Antoinette, but in a way that is so surprising and moving and... It's a deeply complicated portrait. There's wonderful evocations of the architecture of Versailles, and so it's deeply sort of rooted in this particular historical period, yet it never feels historical to me. And then Penelope Fitzgerald, her late novels, The Beginning of Spring and Innocence and The Gate of Angels and the blue flower, all take place in different historical periods. Again, there's just such freshness and insight and this nearly shocking sense of immediacy as you're reading them. Yet at the same time, there's nothing anachronistic. There's never a sense of sort of having our own contemporary values or worldview being imposed upon this different time. She's both wonderful at kind of capturing the mindset of a particular time, as well as how they ate or did their laundry, kind of the down and dirty, mundane details.
1: Many thanks to Sarah Swenyan yen Bynum for taking the time to meet with me. If you're interested in her work, check out Madeline is Sleeping for her short story collection, Miss Hempel Chronicles. And thank you for tuning in. Join me next week as we continue our discussion of writing from history with poet Paul Legault, who wrote The Emily Dickinson Reader, a collection of modern translations of Emily Dickinson's poems. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. Find Hold That Thought on Facebook or Twitter and share your thoughts on today's episode.